never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that spent the night hanging out with Wong and Madison and somehow woke up at the Comertage. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here, hey, man. <laughs> What's up? Not much. Well, okay. So, a ton. So, last week, we had the shortest week of news ever because <laughs> what I failed to remember is that D23 was about to drop on us. So, um, the only news that exists is D23. <laughs> yep. Like, they dumped news on us. It was crazy. I was like, oh, shoot, it's D23 weekend, and I was just trying to find a way to get as much information as possible because I had a pretty jammed weekend. Nice. <laughs> so, um, did you get a chance to consume as much as humanly possible, or did you forget about it, too? Or Yeah, I kind of um, – I had a pretty busy weekend, so it kind of flew, flew by me, but I'm kind of playing catch-up. So I was watching a bunch of the trailers and stuff right before the podcast, and uh, unfortunately I haven't had a chance to watch and read <laughs> every uh, as much as I'd like to this week, but I did make sure to uh, fit in all of the uh, the shows we're currently watching that we've been discussing week by gotcha. week. <laughs> well, the only show that I missed out on um, was uh, – we're recording a little bit early, so the only show I couldn't get in was Lord of the Rings. Okay. So that's just because of my uh, the way my weekend panned out. But that's okay. okay. Um, I'll, I'll be caught up by the time we talk next time, and that'll give us two episodes to talk about. So if you want to hold off on Lord of the Rings, that's cool. If you want to just give me your brief bullet points, that's cool, I, too. I, I gladly will hold off because I do feel like this is an episode where the things I want to say about the episode, I feel like it's going to totally, like maybe not spoil things, but maybe make you view things in a different way. And I wouldn't want to like affect your watching of the show, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So um, I'll, I'll, I'm actually glad to hold off on that. And this is uh, episode three that we're talking about for the listeners. So yeah, we can continue some uh, rings of power next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Lord of the Rings will hold off, but um, what did you watch? Um, so let, so me, let me put it, it this way. You're caught up on House of the Dragon, right? Which we'll talk about. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. And you're caught up and, on Sea Hulk, which we'll talk about. Yep. <laughs> and that's right. honestly about it for me, unfortunately. But um, She Hulk, I think this is a show that we've talked about it on the podcast before. This is definitely like Marvel's take on a more like comedic show, which sounds weird because, you know, the Marvel shows are all already comedic. But this show is. Uh, kind of more in that like 
Ally McBeal sort of like lawyer comedy sort of series. And I feel like this episode, it was pretty uh, evident because <laughs> like, I feel like right. there's certain parts of the show that I'm, I find so interesting and cool. And then there's the parts where she's like doing her online dating profile and stuff. And I'm a little bit like, why am I watching this? There's <laughs> so many more cool things that could be going on right now, but it is what it is. It's the nature of the show. I'm actually not, um, I'm not really like anti she Hulk or anything. I just thought some of the dating, uh, the online dating stuff was a little bit tedious this episode, but I still like that this show is very short and it's very to the point. Um, in uh, certain cases, I kind of wish certain other shows would be that way, but uh, we can get into that later. Um, <laughs> spoilers, I think uh, I- I'm kind of hinting at Lord of the Rings, but we're going to be talking about that next week. <laughs> so, But um, no, I-, I-, I think She-Hulk's been pretty decent. It's just like some of the dating stuff I thought was a little tedious. So I don't know if there's anything you were holding back on last week that you wanted to uh, talk about with She-Hulk, Drew. Um, so the big thing with She-Hulk was... Um, first off, Madison is literally like my new favorite character and she should be in every episode of She-Hulk. Fantastic. And they need to do the Madison and Wong movie like ASAP. Um, yeah. then, uh, the, the, in my, in what I believe is a direct reference to Mephisto when she talked about the demon. Right. I, uh, that's what I was thinking too, but then I don't know if that's just like a weird satanic joke or is she referencing Mephisto or is right. it both, you know, you never, right. you never tell with these sort of things. And then when she said the goat boy, when she mentioned some goat boy, I would, that's what I thought was Beta Ray Bill. Oh, um, good call. Good call. And it was just like, wait, what? Hold on a second. So, I mean, I could be, be very wrong and in reading into it differently, but it was just a moment love. Oh, hey, you know. See, I thought I thought she also said that the demon resembled a goat or something when she first mentioned him. So I don't that's what I thought it had more of a tie to that. But uh, no, I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. I don't really know (laughs) in that case. So sure. Um, Yeah, well, I feel like all my thoughts of that episode are completely gone. (laughs) No, it's all good. Um, No, it was the big thing was I just felt it was like massive like little like drops of stuff and i didn't mind the dating what was interesting about the dating um sequences was the one thing marvel does is they all it's there's all this they always throw in real life situations that the characters have to still deal with as superheroes um so you know what i mean like that's that's kind of a big deal. Like Spider-Man, he's still a kid in high school dealing with high school problems, even though he's not Spider-Man. Yeah. Or, you know, so that's that's where I was like, all right, she's still a single girl trying to get her life under control. And now she's a Hulk and has to deal with that nonsense, you know. See, um, I, th- I think I agree with that on paper. But just when I was watching it, it felt a little bit forced to me. Like it, it felt a little bit like it had no relevance to anything else that was going on. And it's just like this is what this is episode is going to be about. But I do understand what you're saying, because I think that is one of the big strengths of just marvel comics in general is they always brought the superheroes into real life situations and like you said spider-man is dealing with um you know being the nerdy like kind of outcast in high school in high school and there's like tons of situations that they've always touched on like that so i definitely get what you're saying there i just felt like it seemed a little bit forced in this she-hulk episode i guess is all i'm saying so yeah no i hear you um 
the something I was going to say about the show. No, it'll come to me later. You know what I was curious about that I I don't know if I missed something, but last week you mentioned that they revealed more about that uh, villain who breaks into the courtroom in oh. episode one. Oh, Titana. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I completely missed that. Like I don't remember her being referenced at all in the in this episode. Yeah, she. <laughs> so she her name's Titana. And okay. She is suing She-Hulk because she trademarked the name She-Hulk and says she can't use the name anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really bizarre and weird, but if you go back to uh, the original Secret Wars, Titana was created on the, um, created, she was given her powers on Battleworld to, specifically to deal with She-Hulk as a hero. Okay. That's why I was like, ooh, Secret Secret Wars reference, like a real one. You know what I mean? That's that's actually a really cool Easter egg, and that is such a – I remember that part of the episode now, but that was such a small, like, throwaway line. I just didn't pick up on it. (laughs) So, Yeah. Um, No, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was really cool to have that, you know, nice little, like – it's an Easter egg for those of us who remember. (laughs) Right. Yeah. so I just thought that was cool. Um, okay, so you're caught up on She-Hulk completely now. We are recording a little early, so we haven't watched this week's. I'm honestly really just excited for Daredevil. Not because of Daredevil being Daredevil and having Charlie Cox on the show. I'm excited to have Daredevil on the show because Daredevil is a lawyer. Um, so I'm kind of curious right. how that dynamic plays, you know? So. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um uh, <laughs> it's hard well, to know what to, to add to that but yeah i'm on board yeah i know i just i'm really <laughs> curious to see how that plays out because he's a lawyer who is a superhero and it's just kind of mm-hmm. like is daredevil gonna be the kind of guy to roll in and just be like okay this is how this works when you're like us <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? uh and actually help her out in a way that bruce banner didn't or couldn't because bruce was so focused on the fact that she's a hulk and not being part of the real life he's like no you're a superhero now you have to be an avenger and daredevil on that side is like you know i mean whether he knows about the avengers or not is irrelevant it's more of i'm a street level character this is who i am during the day this is who i am at night (laughs) you know so yeah and it also makes me wonder like is he gonna even reveal that he's daredevil you know because i don't know if um i mean i might be missing like a more recent appearance of matt murdoch but in no way home that's the impression that i got was he was just kind of kind of quiet just waiting like you know he's just going to present himself as matt murdoch and you know he's probably going to tell spider-man that he's daredevil at like the most opportune moment but he's kind of just playing things strategically if you will so that'll be really interesting too to see how that plays out yep agreed um okay um House of the Dragon, because you said that's all you ever watched. Um, I don't have a lot to add to say on this episode the way I've had in other episodes, um, because this was very character building for Rhaenyra. Um, Absolutely. It was really cool to see that, you know, at times passed a little bit and, you know, Damon's coming back and he's now, you know, the king of the narrow sea and um, that kind of thing. And he's kind of ruling a dragonstone at the moment. But this was a huge character building for Rhaenyra and things that she's going through. And it was nice and it was really cool to see 
the tension building in terms of like she's not accepting these suitors or anything like that. And, you know, I, I hope I'm not the only one who saw it, but I was pretty sure she was going to like fall for Sir Kristen. I just kind of saw that coming from. the Yeah, game. absolutely. You know what I mean? Like episodes <laughs> ago, like saw that kind of coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool to see that interesting juxtaposition is how that all played out. Um, but yeah, ultimately again, just I'm glad to be back in Westeros. So I, I think that, uh, uh, this series has gotten better with every episode. I don't necessarily have a lot to say about this one either, but the first episode of house of the dragon, I thought was very good. It was very engaging, but it just didn't, feel enough like game of thrones to me and i don't know how to explain it but i think it was like there wasn't enough going on there wasn't enough weird like behind the scenes scheming and stuff like that and then the second episode came and it again it was really good and it started to feel a little bit more like game of thrones and uh with this episode i think it just feels i finally it's it sounds so weird this is such an abstract thing but this episode really felt like game of thrones to me the whole like sequence with um rhaenyra and daemon like sneaking out of the castle and into town and stuff and that whole like night out sequence felt so debaucherous and it felt like it they really made it feel like it's like something you shouldn't be watching when and when you think about the original game of thrones series there's so many moments like that but then when it came to the aftermath of that night and uh the weird scheming behind the scenes. And uh, you mentioned tension. I feel like there's so much tension that was building through this whole episode, especially even like stuff that like two characters would be talking to each other. And in your mind, you know, like Viserys and uh, Rhaenyra are having like, he's, he's confronting uh, Rhaenyra about this rumor he's heard. And in your mind, you're still thinking about, but what about all these other characters and what about these other people who are scheming for power and what are they up to right now? And it's starting to become the debaucherous, really like intricate chessboard that I want it to be. And I think that's what I really loved about this episode, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I saw that too. Um, and the King, man, he's got to stop sitting on that throne. Did you see his back? Like, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> And I just, and that's the thing, I wonder if it's early signs of grayscale and they're not saying it yet or whatever. Oh, man. That's, that's really an interesting me, concept. That's really got me wondering, because that original wound on his back just looked too bizarre. And now he's mm-hmm. missing fingers, and yeah, so he's got to stop sitting on that throne. I, um, I also think about how, because I know George R. R. Martin has a, uh, I know he gets a lot of inspiration from, like, actual, like, European history and like different monarchs and stuff. And I know certain kings, like I know especially Henry VIII for sure was known to have a uh, syphilis. So he had like sores all over his body and stuff like that. And um, when you think of like Princess Bride, when uh, Wesley mentions, uh, he's like, What are you going to marry some king who's rich and scabby? Like that's definitely a reference to that sort of concept like some rich king who has syphilis scores sores all over but i like that um it feels like they took that concept and they are bringing it into this game of thrones story but adding a whole level of like character development to it as well as like symbolism as like this man is not fit to be on the iron throne and he 
he is sitting on the Iron Throne, but his body is physically rejecting it. And we're watching him decay in real time. And I think it's just like there's a lot of levels of really smart stuff they're doing there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, Yeah, I don't really until we see more. I'm not entirely sure what else to say on this episode. Yeah, yeah, right. It was just it was just like a really solid episode. Um, Is that all you guys watched? That's literally that's literally it for me. So um, there's like I mean, I started watching Elvis on HBO, but I didn't finish it. So I didn't want to give my review of it yet. But otherwise, that's all. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, The other the only other thing that I watched was. um, uh, The other thing I watched was uh, the Obi-Wan documentary uh, Jedi. Oh, nice. How was that? Um, Really, really cool. It's basically a make. It's basically it's. They have the Disney Gallery, but they didn't do an episode, a Disney Gallery episode. It's not labeled as Disney Gallery. It's like something else. And I think it's the idea of how important it was to get this character's story right because it's directly linked to the original um, to the original uh, movie itself with Obi-Wan and stuff like that and bridging yeah. that gap. So um, it was really kind of cool to see. You get to see some really cool behind-the-scenes stuff of getting Hayden in the suit and putting on the makeup and – um, how they did the uh, the Bacta tank scene when he was like hanging in there, like with the fake art, with the missing arms and legs and stuff. And it's it's a cool it's a cool documentary if you want to check it out. But you get some behind the scenes stuff with Hayden, which is, in my opinion, kind of rare because of it's like the fans like it's weird. The fans like Hayden hated his performance so much that now they're starting to actually. Now the fans are actually starting to embrace Hayden as Darth Vader and they want more and more of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I feel it's like, just, that's, you know, I, I agree with that because I see more people online just in, like really embracing and like honoring Hayden Christensen. And I'm I'm sitting there like this wasn't always the case, like back in the day when the prequels were coming out. And it's just so funny how it's so weird, but I've just I guess it's just because I'm, you know, I, I'm not getting any younger and I'm noticing through the years that that happens with so much entertainment, like so many franchises and things that people really clown on when it comes out. It's like later on, like wait 10, 10 or 20 years and it starts to become embraced by people. It's almost like certain actors and certain series and stuff come out before their time and then eventually they it whatever it is finds its own audience if it, if that makes sense i'm being super vague here but <laughs> no i know you're I know. um but no that was really good so check that out um the other thing that i watched and i'm not done with it yet but um critical role episode 33 apparently is um there's some create like it got look it got spoiled for me um, unfortunately because of the internet and the really long episodes, but, um, it literally broke the internet. Um, if you were looking in the right space, um, some crazy, crazy amounts of character deaths and everything. Um, oh, wow. and, uh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty nuts. So I'm like almost there. I just, I, I just really want to see it play out. So I was trying, so I'm getting there, but they're long episodes. So. Well, it's not about how it ends. It's about the friends you made a- along the way. And I think yeah. that applies to a uh, podcast, too, especially something with critical critical role or something like critical role, because, you know, there's so many 
jokes and so much fun to be had before you get to those character deaths and stuff. So you'll right. probably still enjoy listening through it once you get the chance. Oh, I know. Well, that's the thing, because I watch it. So it's <laughs> like getting to see the battle play out and all that stuff. You get to see the the actors' reactions and everything. Like That's the best part of it for me. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, apparently it's a bloodbath, if you will. Um, anyway... Uh, let's talk about the news because that kind of catches us up in terms of watching and reading. And there's a ton. Some of this is quick um, because some of it they didn't have. So if you didn't know, D23 happened this weekend. Um, if you don't know what D23 is, I'm surprised. But if you're listening to the show, you probably do. D23 is basically Disney's Comic-Con or Disney's Star Wars Celebration or Disney's DC Fandom. It's like their own private Hey, here's all the stuff coming. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's Disney's Nite- Nintendo Direct, if you will. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, some of this is quick because there wasn't stuff to it. Like, so, for example, when I say some of this is quick, Peter Pan and Wendy is going to be a live action um, movie coming to Disney+. Plus. Is this a retelling of Peter Pan? Is this a sequel? I'm not 100% sure, but all I, I know Jude Law's in it. All right. <laughs> um, and it's coming to Disney Plus in 2023. Great. You know, but all they had was a poster to release, and the poster looks awesome. Um, it's basically like some clouds with the uh, the mast of the ship coming out of the clouds. Looks really cool. And it's got, like, and if I zoom in on it, it looks like we got uh, Peter Pan and Wendy in flight fighting Captain Hook. And you got Michael and what's the other kid's name? Thomas. Is it Thomas? <laughs> I want to say it's Thomas. Um, kind of like on the rigging, like they're kind of working their way up. Um, it just the idea sounds cool. So mm-hmm. but that's just like I said, that was quick, but they didn't have anything to show us. You know, um, another one that was like, hey, we don't have anything to show you, but we're going to tell you live action Lion King prequel called Mufasa. <laughs> Um, I heard about this. It's, it's this I think is one of the more controversial um, announcements. They well, you know what? I, well, tell me about that in a second. But I think it's funny that it's called Mufasa, the Lion King, because he was. <laughs> that, right. I mean, why the title? Why the title made me laugh a little bit. Instead of Lion King Mufasa, like the subtitle, like the subtitle is the Lion King, as opposed to the other way around. Um, why are you saying it's uh, controversial? Oh, I just saw it's maybe not. Maybe I'm overblowing that statement. I just saw a lot of people on Twitter and stuff complaining about it because I know the live action Lion King is kind of controversial in general because it's all CG animated creatures. So there's the argument like, is this even true live action? But then there's also the aspect of just people really holding the original version at such a high pedestal and uh, just not being able to accept the live action version. So it's not, I guess it's not like break the internet levels of controversy. I just saw a lot of people complaining about it on Twitter, but at the same time, I follow a lot of like animators and people like kind of in that universe. So that might be, that might be my sort of uh, bubble that I'm seeing this from. So yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, my thing with the live action Lion King is I felt like I felt like I was watching a National Geographic documentary as opposed to <laughs> there's, there, right. was, there was zero expression on any of the faces of the animal. You know what I yeah. mean? I feel like when you watched 
the cartoon. I mean, essentially, they're both cartoons if you put it if you really put pen to paper. But when you watch the original cartoon, you at least can see the emotions that are being evoked from the characters on screen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, that was my thing is like that newer Lion King. I just didn't get that because they were trying to be so realistic animal stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. Um, I have a feeling it'll probably be cool. What's what's cool about it to me is that the remake live action remake that they did do was the same story. So I felt like I was watching a movie I'd seen a lot. So there wasn't anything in my opinion that was new. And I wasn't like, Oh, (laughs) Hey, like I knew everything, you know, this is Mufasa. This is a prequel. This is a story. I don't know. So it could end up being kind of cool. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So Amy Poehler was at, um, D23 to announce Inside Out 2. That sounds awesome. Um, They announced, uh, Pixar announced that Inside 2 is starring Amy Poehler once again and will take place inside Riley Anderson's head, but this time she's a teenager. Uh, (laughs) And will naturally even be more emotions expected. So we're all going to cry again, but what's kind of cool about this is just the growing up thing. And like yeah, absolutely crazy stuff in the world. You're going to have the Internet. You're going to have all that stuff. You're going to have crushes on boys. You're going to have like when I was thinking about that, like the fact that she's a teenager, what teenagers go through uh, possible bullying at school, that kind of thing. And you play into the emotions and the trauma of going through puberty and stuff like that. It's going to be yeah. kind of cool. So, um, no, it's know, it's I, yeah, go it's ahead. both like the obvious next step to take for a sequel. But it's just so perfect because when you're dealing with characters based on emotions in a character's head, you send that character through puberty. Once they're like, once they hit the teenage years, there's so many more emotions and uh, it's just like a really smart, it's like the obvious idea, but it's the best possible way they could go with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. What? Hold on a second. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of saving some of these bigger ones for later, if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Snow White, the live action Snow White with Gal Gadot and Rachel Ziegler uh, releases in 2024. Cool. All right. um, they came out to talk about it. This is that thing where a lot of the footage and stuff that was you had to be at the convention to see a lot of the stuff that they showed um, because it was for D23 members only. So, Like, for example... The Indiana Jones trailer was once again showed to the people who were there. They have not put it on Internet yet. Um, Just so you do know, there is a fake Indiana Jones 5 trailer out there. um, And if you think to yourself, how is this a fake trailer? It looks legit. Some of that footage is pulled from that one movie he did about the dog. So, (laughs) right, um, right. You know what I mean? So, like, it's not like I'm cool like i'm i'll probably watch the live action snow white it is probably it, that's probably one of my least favorite disney stories but i'll probably watch it anyway um, <laughs> i feel like you don't like a lot of the really classic disney films i don't not, know what it is because i know you weren't, weren't a fan of pinocchio either <laughs> i don't like pinocchio at all um and uh snow white there's a lot about that movie that bugs me some of it's the animation i know it's classic so I can't really argue animation. It was, it was literally their first. So they were, you know, it was all like experimental. I'm just not a fan of the animation, 
Um, I don't like Snow White's voice. I think she has the worst voice of like all the princesses. And it's really right. sad to say that because that's Walt's daughter. <laughs> I um, think it's a, it's probably a very dated performance though. Yeah. Like this is a movie that was obviously made in the forties or whenever it was. And it had a very like old Hollywood yeah. little girls entertainment sort of um, feel to it i would think yeah. so ultimately i think the snow white story is kind of boring in my personal opinion compared to some of the other princesses like i thought sleeping beauty that whole thing was a way more entertaining and okay there's a you know there's some other ones that are in my opinion just more entertaining stories um the other thing about snow white is i think she died at the end um if you watch the original like the i'm, I'm saying the original cartoon because the live action i don't know if it'll end this way but the original cartoon after she gets poisoned by the apple, they put her in what looks like a glass coffin in the woods. And then yeah. the prince shows up and kisses her and it wakes her up, right? Yeah. But then they get on his horse and they ride off to his castle that happens to be in the sky. So did she die and he was just an angel carrying her to heaven? <laughs> I'm just, there's there's I just know there's so many fan theories I'm just about saying. this. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Um that's something that always bugged me. So anyway, Snow White aside, the live action one comes out and I mean <laughs> um, I was gonna say at the same time at the end of Greece, um Danny and Sandy drive off in a flying car. So you gotta take what happens on screen with a grain of salt. <laughs> sure. But, <laughs> But I hear you. Um, let's talk about. Okay, we're running into big stuffs here. Um, the Santa Clauses. Right. Um, did you see that? No. Um, <laughs> I just knew it was coming. Yeah, the Tim Allen, the Santa Clauses is coming. There was a trailer. This is actually one trailer that I did not get to watch because I was really like, "Ooh, I'll watch that later," and then I got stuck doing something else, and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean. So it just kind of didn't work out, which is fine. But that's coming. Starts September 16th. Uh, no, not December. November 16th this year. Um, I'll probably watch it. I like the Santa Claus movies. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm in. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, the Willow trailer. What do you think of the new yeah. Willow trailer? They look, dude, the first trailer had me, but this looks awesome. This looks great. Um, it's it's kind of hard to know what to say because there's a ton of plot points that I don't know how they're all going to play out yet. But what I can say is one, and I think this is the most important thing is while watching this trailer, I could not help, but have a smile on my face. And that comes from, there's a lot of one liners. There's a lot of humor in it, but there's also the music just evokes the original movie and just seeing Warwick Davis on screen and some of the other actors who we haven't seen in so long. And there's just a sense of warmth that I got from this trailer that I haven't really gotten from anything else in a long time. And that's just like my biggest endorsement of this is I watched the trailer and I could not smile. I couldn't help but no. laughing out loud at certain points. And it's not, that often that a trailer does that to me, to be honest. But there's, what we're saying, there's a lot of trailers that take things out of context. Yeah. Right? Where they like take the, the scenes are all chopped up. The lines of dialogue are chopped up. So you're getting like just something to get you excited to see the movie or the television show. Um, I don't know how to context this was, but there's a line in there. Like, how are we going to defeat whatever? And yeah. Willow's like together is what he says. And there's a moment in the trailer where that line, the first line comes up, how are we going to do this? 
And then Willow's next line is together, but there's a gap in the trailer before the the next line where I'm like, he's going to say magic. And then he didn't. And I was like, come yeah. on, man, missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <to> magic. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Um, it would have been great. Um, when I got to meet Warwick Davis, um, he was really, really gracious with his time. I actually got to hang out with him for about 20 minutes. It was kind of cool. But uh, the the picture he signed for me, uh, it was a picture of him and Migosh, and the actor who played Migosh was there with him, so they both signed it. But Warwick nice. Davis, after, after his signature and everything, um, he personalized it and whatnot. So it's got my name and whatnot. And it says Warwick Davis, but then it says, and then, but, but he just wrote magic across the photo. It looks nice. great. You know what I mean? But like, that's the whole thing with Willow. <laughs> it's all about magic, dude. You know? So, mm-hmm. um, no, I'm just, I'm really excited for this. I'm really, it was okay. Look, we got another clear shot of Von Carr. Awesome. He's back. That actor character's back. Um, the one that I was really curious about was Kevin Pollack who played Ranji. Yeah. And he's back, dude. I'm like, <laughs> I hope that the other guy is, but he might not be alive. I honestly don't know, but we got the brownies back and Kevin Pollack came back to do it. It's going to be great. Um, so, so in context in the show, I don't know if this is going to play out that well, but the way it was edited into the trailer, the introduction to his character was so genius. Cause it shows like, Willow's like, hey, and then it shows uh, Kevin Pollack like walking out of his house like, hey there, and it, they made it look like he was regular sized. And then the next shot is like a profile shot of both of them. And it obviously shows that he's only like six inches tall. And it was such a genius, like for people who forgot that like this character was a brownie, it's like, so, it, it just played out so well. Like I was just like, that's actually some pretty good editing right there. Right, to right, be right. Honest. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to see it. Um, so yeah, the, we'll... the one oh no, the one other thing I did want to say about the trailer is the special effects in this look awesome, and I love seeing the mix of practical and um, you know CGI together. But I feel like this we're seeing like a classic film, and now we're seeing technology catch up to what they're probably trying to do in the original film. And even though the original film, I love the special effects. There's some amazing practical stuff that they do, but I think it is like, it was just really impressive to me to see like this seamless representation of uh, Willow's world on screen. And that's kind of, uh, I just thought that was really exciting. And honestly, like, I feel like, it's kind of crazy that Lord of the Rings Rings of Power has such a big budget because there was shots in this trailer that I thought kind of looked better than some of the stuff in Lord of the Rings. Well, <laughs> you know, you know it makes me think it looks better for a reason. It's industrial light and magic. True. Yeah, there it, you go. It's literally one of the oldest like special effects studios yeah. reinvented special effects. And they're the reason we have the volume today and all that stuff. So just saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just saying. Good uh, call. Um, all right. So Willow looks awesome. Let's talk about bounce a little bit. It's either Marvel or Star Wars, so you pick. Where do you want to go? Uh, we can do Marvel first. Marvel first. Okay, let's start with Secret Invasion trailer. What do you think? This looks cool. Um, it kind of this... looks like I feel like it looks like what I expected, but it looks really solid at the same time. I don't know what we were going to say. It looks solid. It looks like the Nick Fury show. Um, yeah. I was hoping to see a little more scroll. 
<laughs> um, how about this? It was, I was hoping to see a little more scrawl as scrolls. Yeah. Question mark. I, had the I feel like there was mark. only one shot of the scrolls in the whole trailer. Is that accurate? That's why I say that. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it that we know of. Um. So yeah, no, the show looks great. I just it's not at all what I was expecting. And again, trailers are shot out of context. It's a lot of spy thriller stuff uh, of like business meetings and guys in suits and stuff. And you're like, this is a Marvel show. This doesn't look like a Marvel show at all. And then you see the scrawl and you're like, all right, I'm in. You see Nick Fury the whole time and you see Maria Hill and you're just like, all right, here's old friends. Like, this is cool. I'm in. But you don't really know what you're looking at in terms of Secret Invasion, because if you read the comic or you have even an inkling about what Secret Invasion is, I feel like you're going to be confused. You know, so. Oh, you thought the trailer would be confusing if you didn't know what was going on? You are the average movie. If you are the average moviegoer and you're watching Marvel because you just know it's the big thing and you got to watch yeah. to the puzzle and you don't know anything. I feel it's confusing because it's not at all what you're familiar with or no. Like the trailer, I, I don't think sold the concept and Secret Invasion, from what we're understanding, is going to be incredibly important moving forward. So, yeah. They could have mixed in, like, maybe a reference to uh, Captain Marvel or something, because that came out. They could have. It seems like it's recent, but I feel like Captain Marvel came out, like, five years ago or something. Is that wrong? Like, I feel like it was, like, four or five, like, 2017, 2018. That's, like, four or five years ago. Um, I'd have to look it up to be sure. But my point is it's been a while since maybe the general audience really remembers even, like, what scrolls are and what they do and stuff. Um, Yeah. I also thought of something that might be kind of a random theory, but since we haven't seen the scrolls very much, I know there was a lot of people who didn't like how the scrolls looked in Captain Marvel. And I'm wondering if they're if Marvel's going to do like a abomination sort of thing where they're just going to change the design slightly enough so that you still know that it's the same kind of alien, but it also mm-hmm. just looks closer to the original comic version. I'd have to go back and freeze frame the trailer to be able to figure that out, but it's just something I'm kind of thinking of there. <laughs> That's interesting. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see how this plays out. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about Captain America four. Yeah. Um, so if there was any footage released at D23, we were not privy to it because we weren't physically there. Um, so I can only report on the fact that there's some casting that was announced. So we know Anthony Mackie's coming back to play Captain America. Um, I, I, Isaiah Bradley's back as a character. So that's cool. We're getting some more of that because of the whole um, racial change with Captain America. I mean, it's in the comic books and I'm excited to see where Anthony Mackie takes the character. I was like, sweet Falcon Cap. Here we go. This will be interesting. Um, so Isaiah Bradley's back because I think he'll be a guiding light for Anthony Mackie in terms of like a mentor type Mm -hmm. soldier in a way, because Steve Rogers is no longer around. Um, the one kid, uh, Danny Ramirez, he played that one guy that was helping out Falcon throughout the show. Um, he's going to be the new Falcon. Cool. Um, and then Blake Nelson is added to the cast as the leader. Um, I scratch my head at this just a little bit, but that is only because, and not that I don't want the leader in the show or not that I don't want Blake Nelson in the show, but the leader is originally a Hulk villain. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I'm just kind of curious to how this plays off. I'm totally down for the leader being in the MCU and I'm totally down with him being in the Captain America movie. I just, it makes me wonder and it makes me wonder if we're going to get a Bruce Banner in the Falcon movie too, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the leader will be, uh, looks like the main villain for Captain America four. It's interesting. Any thoughts on that or no? Um, not really outside of what, uh, (laughs) I think you said necessarily, but yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, um, sorry. Oh, I did. I did want to mention too. Oh, right. um, I was wrong. Captain Marvel came out in 2019, but I just thought it was longer ago than that. I okay. think it's just because you know we've been through an entire pandemic and stuff <laughs> since then. Yeah, so. time seemed to slow down during that. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So Daredevil's back for a whole new show, and it's going to be a long show. Um. We're getting Charlie Cox in the Spider-Man movie. We're going to get him in She-Hulk. We're going to get him in a sprinkled out throughout some other stuff. So we're going to be seeing him again. And then he's getting an 18 episode season called Daredevil Born Again. What's crazy to me is that this is the longest. Like there's the other ones are all six episodes, maybe seven, you know, but they're all short. 18 episodes. We don't know how long the episodes are going to be, if they're going to be hours, half an hour, whatever. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio will be back to play Kingpin. Awesome. Um, Charlie Cox says this is a season one. It's not a season four. It's a whole new thing. Wow. I think that it's the way to go. If you're going to do it again, do it differently. So where I was actually considering rewatching the Daredevil show, first off, the Daredevil show is awesome. You should watch it. But where I was considering rewatching it, I don't think I'm going to now because they're saying it's an entirely new thing. What do you yeah. think? No, I think that's really interesting. I feel like it's going to be like a unofficial sequel almost to the original show where it's like it doesn't really continue the story, but it doesn't really um, deny the story as well. Like it's just kind of I feel like it's going to be the incredible Hulk of uh, TV shows, if, if you sure. will. Like it's vaguely connected to the original series, but no, we're just going to reestablish Daredevil in the MCU current and just kind of pretend that other series didn't happen, but at the same time, not contradict it. So you kind of have the best of both worlds, but this is a Disney plus show, you know, it's moved over from Netflix and they want to have a new audience. So they don't want to alienate the new Disney plus fans that are going to watch this, if that makes sense. So I don't blame them for that approach, but yeah, no, I hear you. Um, and we'll see. I'm just, I'm, I hope it holds that same level of grit that the other one did, though. That's the one thing I want them to hold to. Um, I do feel that the Netflix show did, in my opinion, got a little extra brutal, um, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. But. um, But, yeah, I hope they have that still level of grit with this show. Um, Yeah. Okay, Thunderbolts. uh, The cast has been announced. So the big question is, who is going to actually be the Thunderbolts? Um, and I think we were all on our right track when we when we mentioned uh, Contessa, Valente, whatever her name is. Um, is she even, do they have the full name? No. <laughs> In this little blurb, I got her full name's not listed. But it's Contessa, Valente, whatever her name is from... Um, uh, Black Widow. From Black Widow, and then uh, she appeared in uh, Captain America because she signed on U.S. agent. 
So that yeah. being said, U.S. agents on the team. Um, also from Black Widow, Taskmasters on the team. You got to remember, this is like anti-Avengers, if you will. So U.S. agent, uh, Taskmaster, Ghost uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, Red Guardian from Black Widow will be in this. The other cap, the Russian Captain America, if you will. Yolena, which I think we all knew because of the scene at the end of the Black Widow. And Bucky Barnes, uh, the Winter Soldier <sighs> stuff. Um, so that's our big lineup for uh, the Thunderbolts movie. Yeah, I've been seeing um, this uh, image, like kind of like a digital painting of uh, yeah. the Thunderbolts cast. Is that an official? Oh, I guess it is. Sorry, that's, I'm like that, looking at. That is an official uh, uh, release from D23. Yeah. You, you never know nowadays if it's like a fan put it together. But um, no, it looks like a cool. Oh, so <laughs> you said you never know because when a fan does. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to say. I've mentioned that this fake trailer is out there and you got to be careful. When it comes to stuff like Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, um, even like the DC Universe with Warner Brothers and stuff, when it comes to these things, you got to be careful what you look at on the Internet. If your source is not directly linked to the actual horse's mouth, it's probably not true until the horse's mouth confirms that it's true. <laughs> so you just got to be careful. But, yeah, this is a legit uh, image released from D23. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about this, and, um, I don't, I can confess, I don't know a ton about the Thunderbolts from the comics, but weren't they originally put together by Thunderbolt Ross? And that's kind of where they got the name or am I wrong about that? Uh, you are dead on. With okay. Um, and so is Contessa kind of taking the Thunderbolt role? Ross role? Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. um, it's in, and because William Hurt passed away, I don't know. I would like to think there's going to be some kind of nod to the character. Yeah. Um, like William Hurt as an actor passed away, so his character can't appear in the movie unless they do some CGI magic like they did with Princess Leia or something. But I hope there's some kind of nod to the character or, or something. You know what I mean? So Yeah, absolutely. And like it does it does kind of suck because there's like in the comics, there's things that they do with that character that I wish they could um, they could do on screen. <laughs> but, you know, when somebody passes away, you really have the challenge of like, is it tasteful to recast somebody or is it better to leave it at that? And that's a whole conundrum and probably a discussion for a completely different podcast. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just different thoughts that are uh, swimming in my head right now. But definitely going to be a really exciting, um, you know piece of entertainment to watch so gotcha. well did you watch the werewolf by night trailer yeah i checked it out it was i was saying in, ter in terms of the marvel stuff i was saving this one for last because of all the stuff that they showed my first reaction to the werewolf by night trailer was whoa disney <laughs> <laughs> um my second reaction to werewolf by night trailer was this looks awesome yeah uh, this is like black and white horror craziness for the marvel universe um, it's based on the comic Werewolf by Night, which is of the same title for Marvel. Um, this looks, what made them pick this makes me curious, but hey, I'm down. This looks like a fun time. Um, the other thing about it is it will also feature the, um, it will feature the, uh, MCU debut of Man-Thing, if you didn't know that. Oh, uh, nice. So, yeah, uh, it, you just thought the trailer looked good or? 
No, I, I well, I thought it was interesting. I do like the black and white effect on it and how they presented it like a classic horror film. Like um, the trailer actually kind of reminded me of a mix of like they were going for the classic like black and white universal monsters sort of horror vibe. But, but the uh, the guy announcing like the voice actor who is doing the voiceover for the trailer reminded me a lot of the. Uh, original grindhouse trailers um if you remember when those came <laughs> yeah, out yeah, yeah. um so i got those vibes too but this looks sweet i'm really curious if the actual is this a this is a just a movie right or is it a series i, I believe this is a movie that'll be okay. straight to disney plus and it makes me wonder if the actual movie is going to be all black and white or if they just did that for the trailer. But either way, I thought it was really effective. Um, I also can like kind of give Disney props because there's a moment in this trailer and I feel like it's the first um, sort of kill that they allude to when you're watching through the trailer. The first time you see like a bit of violence, the camera cuts away and it doesn't show like any gore or something. And I was like, okay, this is going to be Disneyfied. This is going to be dumbed down a little bit. They're not going to show any gore in that. But then a couple shots later, you really have to pay attention, but there's definitely like a hand you get, you see get, ripped off in the background of one of the shots so i was like okay there's gonna be a little gore <laughs> yeah i was gonna <laughs> say there's some gore in that know? trailer <laughs> so. yeah it was just it was just the first the first kill that they show the camera breaks away and i'm like okay this is gonna be pretty family friendly and then as the trailer went on i i became more impressed with the gore so no this looks I fun thought, i'll be checking I, it out i thought the same thing where it started off like okay family friendly halloween horror stuff just for fun yeah for plus and i was like whoa this is going way over the top and then i <laughs> and then i remember and you got to keep reminding yourself there is rated our content on disney plus so true um all right let's talk about star wars we have a couple more things to talk about um first off live action ahsoka series they cast a actor um emin estefati if i pronounce that last name correctly that's my guess as Edra, ezra bridger um it's fine he looks like the character i'm down Ezra Bridger, I've said that before, he is my least favorite Star Wars character for several reasons. Um, but I guess there is some curiosity as to what happened to him at the end of Rebels. So, um, we shall see. Um, and then Bad Batch uh, will be coming back January 4th, 2023. So that's great. That was supposed to be out in May. It got pushed back to September. It got pushed back again. But we're actually getting a, hey, it's coming out. I don't really know the story behind the Bad Batch delay. Um, it could have been production stuff. It could have been wait time waiting for it because of other stuff coming out. I'm really not sure. So, um, yeah, so Bad nice. Batch. Um, Andor trailer. Um, Andor looks great. I'm excited. Um, we got a three-episode premiere when it drops near the end of uh, Jan September here. Jan January. Near the end of September, it's going to be a three-episode premiere, which is crazy to me because I don't know how long the season is. Um, but the one thing I have against the show right now is the pure lack of aliens. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't even like, think about that while watching the trailer, but that's definitely very uh, – that's a very glaring issue now that I think back on it. So Now, let's be real. Um in all of Star Wars, everything's an alien because it doesn't exist here on Earth. <laughs> but right. 
But my, this is, I've heard this complaint before about Disney, the Disney side of Star Wars. And it's the one thing that I heavily, heavily agree with. And that is Disney does not at all seem to care about the original aliens. Um, when you look at the sequel trilogy, it's like they created all new aliens as opposed to using any of the old aliens. Um, right. Now, I, kn- I like Star Wars being massive galaxy. I like Star Wars having several planets and new aliens and new creatures. I love that. But where's the Greedos and the Nine Nums and the Aqualishes and the Mon Calamari and the other aliens that we grow up and love? You don't need hundreds of them, but when you're in a bar, put a Rodian at the bar. You know what I right. mean? Right, <laughs> yeah. And they'll be like, sweet, they put a Greedo in the show. You know, like, we, that's what we want. And I think they know that, and I don't know why they're skipping over aliens. Now, the Empire, aside from Grand Admiral Thrawn, does not have any aliens in service. Yeah. Like, everybody in the Empire is an, a human. And it's talked about in the novels, it's talked about in the comic books, um, the idea that Palpatine's a racist and doesn't like aliens might be part of it. Who knows? But so I get having lots of human characters for that. But when you're on like a spaceport, there should be aliens everywhere. Um, and and the Gamorians, they're all dad bod Gamorians. They're not the alien fat bodied Gamorians that we grew up with from Return of the Jedi. They're all like <laughs> um, and it, it's weird. Um, but. So they should be all shapes and sizes, but it's weird that we don't get any of the normal fat Gamorreans. So that's funny. Um, but otherwise, Andor looks great. It has looked great. This is just a new trailer that got released. Um, See, I think I think it looks good. My actually, my one concern with the series is I'm worried it looks a little bit like it's going to be like there's going to be a lack of comic relief. Like I'm worried it's going to be a little bit dry. It looks but very with that, serious. Yeah, with that being said, it does look really good. I'm really excited. It looks it just looks solid, you know. I just that's my yeah. one thing is like the trailer looks awesome. It didn't make me smile or anything like that, but it does look really good and I'm excited right. for it. So um it looks very serious and it looks like espionage in Star Wars, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um all right, what do you think of the Mando trailer? Mando season three, Mandalorian. Uh, this again, just it looks sweet. It looks like, yeah. uh, you know, we've got more of uh, Din Djarin and Grogu going out and uh, kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> it's just kind of like it's kind of just what you want to see from the series. I think it's one of those. I don't even know too much to say about it. What's uh, where are you at with this one? Um, it looks fantastic. It's amazing. I really like the shot of all the Mandos like skydiving out of the drop ship or whatever like right. like do that sky drop over the city and fire their jetpacks and kind of i don't know if they're going down low or if they're just in attack mode or whatnot i don't know it looks great um it looks like you actually get to see now the throne room the actual palace and throne room on mandalore should have been destroyed but it sure looks like they're in very similar looking architecture or halls predicated on that stuff uh, because you see Katie Sackoff or Bo-Katan sitting on what looks like the Mandalorian throne itself. Um, so there's some really cool pieces in there. There's some stuff I kind of expected and understood. Uh, things with, you know, shots of like Grogu and, you know, them flying around to the ship. And like, there's just some action sequence. You're like, yeah, OK, I'm in. It's Star Wars. Yeah. No, here we go. 
Um, but yeah, there's just a couple lines of dialogue that raise your eyebrows a little bit like, oh, really, we're going to do this, you know, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really excited. Looks great. Um, it's really all I got on Mandalorian because I'm just excited to see it. Um, and they're probably going to release like 12 more trailers and whatnot. Um, but I'm seriously Disney Indiana Jones five trailer. Drop it. We all want to see it. <laughs> Apparently Harrison Ford is very emotional over this. And um, I, I just want to see it. So hurry. Nice. Up. Um, that is it for the news. Unless you have anything else you want to add. Um, yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, well, everybody, that's it for the news. There's going to be probably tons more because they're eventually going to release the Indiana Jones five trailer and the Snow White trailer and some other things. Um, so we will uh, talk about all that later. Um, let's talk about the list tonight, man. Is that cool? Yeah, let's go for right, it. Cool. Uh, we're going to roll the thing and we'll be right back. Top five. All right, Peter. Yeah. Uh, this was your list. Um, talk away, man. What do you got? Tell me about the <laughs> list. Tell us, tell our listeners, remind us where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week we're doing our top five movies from uh, 1986, and uh, I did this because it's my birthday next week. Um, I was born in. Um, I guess it's technically this week. I don't know. Anyways, I was born in 1986. Um, in the past, we've done that year, and I kind of just went forward every year, like when it would be my birthday again, I'd be like, all right, let's do, you know, our top five movies from 1987 and so on. But we never went backwards. So that's really all the thought that went into this. But I only saw 23 movies from 1985. Um as you go back in time, I feel like at least for me, there's less and less movies that I see. But there's some huge movies that came out this year. There's some movies that I really love and have watched a ton. So I think it's going to definitely be a fun year to uh, discuss. But uh, yeah, what do you what are your thoughts, Drew? Um, so. All right. So I was five in 1985. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of putting this in terms of putting this list together, I was five. Um, I watched 41 of the movies from 1985. Um, by all means, I feel like I should have seen more, but again, I was five. Um, <laughs> that I watched 41 that year? No, this is like sprinkled throughout my life. And there's, oh, movies, absolutely. On the, and there's movies here that I did not realize were 1985. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool to like revisit and dig through the list. There's a couple movies here that we've talked about before that make my list that my reviews are going to be short. Um, so I don't think we need to discuss some stuff like heavily, but I did um, as I was building this list, it made me think to myself, does the Academy Motion Picture Academy ever look at their choices for best picture and think to my, themselves, we really messed up? Yeah, like we totally chose the wrong thing. Um, and it does it does make me wonder. Um, and I'll explain when we get to the end. Um, but the best picture this year is a movie called Out of Africa. Um, yeah, I have seen that one. So, yes, because I always I always like that. I see that best picture. But, yes, I had seen it on my short list. Um, but, yes, uh, best picture that year was Out of Africa. Otherwise, I found this list a little difficult because this is the middle of the 80s. Um, 
ultimately like almost everything that came out of the 80s in terms of movies was awesome so yeah. there's so much good on this list like this was a big year and i say that like breakfast club was out this year better off dead cocoon uh day of the dead fletch friday the 13th uh new beginning elm street 2 um jewel of the nile rambo 2 rocky 4 saint almost fire spies like us um summer rental there's some really big stuff here that kind of gets replayed a lot and it's like movies that you know about and you're just like wow like that's really cool that that became a thing this is goonies came out this year too so um i'm not trying to like spoil a list or anything but like there's big names i was gonna say should i even go through my list at this point yeah i know right i just i'm just saying like there's big names here so yeah the 80s were a time when almost everything that came out was great so and, and before jumping in, one thing I will say about a lot of those movies you just mentioned is so many of them are original stories and we don't get that as much nowadays as we should. You know, so many of those were just like oh, their yeah. own original thing and then it blew up, you know, and nowadays everything's an adaptation, a sequel or a reboot. And I do think we need to start. I think Hollywood and uh, just everybody in general just needs to start making new franchises and putting our money into new franchises so we can get some more, um, I guess, culture built up. You know, let's get some new, you know, what's going to be the next Goonies, you know, I yeah, I don't know. Is, is it going to be some Marvel film? It probably won't. You know, we got to we got to keep making stuff. So um, that's yeah. I'll get off of uh, my uh, soapbox, though. <laughs> No, there are, too, list there are definitely too many, uh, um, what's it called? Um, sequels, reboots, remakes. Let's tell some original stories because stuff that came out in the eighties was all original to a point Rocky four. Um, but well, right. You know, <laughs> there were sequels here and there. There was, I'm going to quick pause. When I was scrolling through this list, there's a movie that I discovered that I don't think I knew existed but I really want to see it now. Um, it's a movie called The Dungeon Master. Do you know what this is? No. Okay. I don't even remember seeing that on the list. This popped up and I was like, The Dungeon Master? What is this? Now, the, what caught my attention about The Dungeon Master is the fact that it is, um, it is for a fact, based on um, the title grabbed my attention because of my I like Dungeons and Dragons. But. The Dungeon Master is actually a movie based on it was influenced by the popularity of Disney's Tron and the role playing game Dungeons and Dragons. Listen to this plot and tell me you don't want to see this movie. OK, this is a, right. this is a synopsis. I pulled the synopsis off of Wikipedia, but it's I, I don't think anyone altered and gave me false information on Wikipedia about a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but listen to this. Um, Paul Bradford is a skilled computer programmer who lives with his girlfriend, Gwen, and Excalibur 8, a quasi-sentient personal computer that Paul programmed and which he interacts with via a neural interface. Gwen is jealous of Paul's unusually close relationship with Excalibur 8, who, to whom Paul has given a female voice and fears that their relationship will be destroyed by Paul's reliance on Excalibur 8 for his various day-to-day -day activities. Okay. One night, Paul and Gwen are both transported to a hellish realm presided over by Mestima, if I'm pronouncing that right, an ancient demonic sorcerer who has spent a millennia seeking a worthy opponent to whom do battle with. Having long defeated his enemies with magic, Mestima has 
become intrigued with technology and wishes to pit his skills against Paul's, with the winner claiming Gwen, arming Paul with a portable version of Excalibur 8, which takes the form of a computerized wristband, Mistima begins transporting Paul into a variety of scenarios which he must defeat various opponents. Most, nice. of the cha- most of the challenges involve Paul using his Excalibur 8 wristband to shoot people, monsters, and objects with laser beams. After Paul completes Mistima's various challenges, the two engage in a final battle, which takes the form of a fist fight in which Paul kills Mistima by throwing him into a pit of lava. After Mistima <laughs> dies, Paul and Gwen are transported back to their house, where Gwen expresses their acceptance of Excalibur 8 and suggested, suggests that she and Paul get married. I know everything I just said is a massive spoiler, but doesn't that sound like so ridiculous? <laughs> you have to see this movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. It sounds awesome. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I like I not see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but it just sounds like 80s in the best way possible. It sounds like if somebody wanted to try to make an 80s movie nowadays, they would probably probably do a similar plot. <laughs> like It sounds like it could be one of those things where it's like, that does seem pretty 80s, but nobody would actually make that movie. But it's one of those things like, yeah, they actually made that movie. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to see if I can hunt this movie down somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if it's on Tubi, though, because Tubi has a lot of random old cult classics like that. But thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for spreading the word. (laughs) Right. Okay. All right. All seriousness. I got two honorable mentions. How about you? Yeah, same. Okay. My first honorable mention is a movie called Once Bitten. Do you know what this is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is my first, um, uh, introduction to Jim Carrey. Um, and he just played a high school student who got bit by a vampire and trying to deal with the changes while he's dealing with high school. Um, Jim Carrey, for in my opinion, the first time I had ever seen him on screen, he was fantastic. You could really see how talented this guy is, and he's going to go far. Um, but the movie was just fun vampire nonsense. Ultimately not the best movie, but it was just fun. So, um, And it's funny. It's really funny. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you have anything to add to it, but. Yeah, I this is a good movie. I feel like we've talked about it before, but I do think it's one of those like kind of one of those gems that people don't often go to revisit and stuff. But it is a good film. And uh, just kind of thinking on the movie, I feel like you can see the DNA in uh, Jim Carrey's portrayal of Stanley Ibkiss in his character in Once Bitten because he has that sort of innocent, naive sort of. Uh, same kind of spirit to himself so that's just something i thought of now but this is definitely a fun movie especially since it's uh you know we're approaching spooky season definitely a good one to check out uh (laughs) all right what's your first honorable mention uh yeah so i discussed this movie on the podcast um a few months ago i think um and that's the movie cat's eye uh that's what i chose for my first honorable mention this is a stephen king um like horror anthology film. So it has, uh, I believe three stories within it. And um, there's this cat character, like there's this stray cat who is kind of the um, kind of like your horror host, if you will. Like the cat is kind of the crypt keeper of this movie where you follow this cat who gets out, you know, it's a stray cat and the cat runs to different locations and uh, it's kind of through the cat you're introduced to different characters. And then you see three different sort of, uh, horror stories play out um 
it's a really fun movie. Uh, the biggest kind of most notable story in the movie is uh, the very last story has a young uh, Drew Barrymore who's actually uh, is kind of tormented by this miniature uh, troll every night when she goes to sleep. And uh, a lot of the creature effects and stuff on the troll actually look really beautiful, like the prosthetic effects and the costuming and stuff. And some of the, uh, forced perspective shots from that sequence are really awesome. But the reason why I actually picked this movie is this is a movie that I actually saw on like AMC or something as a, at a really young age. And it just stuck with me. Like I remembered the movie so well. And uh, a few months ago I saw it was on Hulu and I just watched it and it was kind of a trip down memory lane for me. So uh, I think just because that movie had that sort of staying power in my sort of subconscious, it's kind of why it made an honorable mention for this list. Sure. Um, I've never actually seen this movie, um, but that, I mean, it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is one of those ones that you might put on and be like, oh, I have seen this. I just didn't know what it was sort of thing. Sure. Like, I feel like it's that kind of movie. Sure. Um, well, my next honorable mention is uh, Goonies. Awesome. Uh, this movie's great. It's that 80s adventure kids seeking uh, treasure and whatnot. Um, the reason this makes an honorable mention is just because it, I feel like it. There's so much of it that doesn't – I don't think the movie holds up the same <laughs> um, as it did when I was a kid. It re- I just don't think it does, and I think there's – I think it's social issues, which makes it not hold up. Not special effects. Oh, the I thought you were going to say plot. special effects. No, it's all social issues that I don't – I just don't think holds up the same because it's viewed through a different lens now. Um, and I understand this changing at times and stuff like that, and I get that, but um, it – it, it's been replayed enough on television where I've kind of watched it again and again to the point where I'm like, I don't know how this holds up, but I love the movie. Um, but yeah, that's kind of why it sits where it sits. So, so what you're saying, um, I've never watched the movie through that lens and it, I'm really curious to, uh, rewatch it and see what doesn't hold up about it. Um, personally, you, I tell me what you think. <laughs> what's that? When you do tell me what you think. <laughs> I have a feeling like it might be some just like weird, like backhanded comments by some of the teenage characters or something, but I'm not really sure. I kind of want to watch it and uh, yeah. see how it plays out. But um, this is I love this movie. I think it's awesome. I think it's a movie that obviously uh, inspired stuff like Super 8 or uh, Stranger Things, of course, and like a plethora of other uh, films. But the thing about Goonies is when this movie came out, it was it wasn't a nostalgic movie. It was just about how kids were. This is how kids were back when this movie was made. You know, kids went out and played and went on adventures and stuff, and they weren't glued to their Xbox or their iPad and stuff like that. And I think that's why this movie has such a um, it has such a nostalgia factor for people, because it just reminds people of like a simpler time from their childhood. And I think everybody gloms onto it, but I also like that this movie has that sort of, um, you know, it takes place in like kind of a normal town, but you end up going into the underbellies of the town and you end up going on this very crazy adventure. And it's kind of like, it goes from everyday life to an adventure movie, kind of in a similar way to, uh, Big Trouble in Little China in a weird way, like Big Trouble in Little China takes place like in New York, but 
it's a weird like exotic adventure movie at the same time which you wouldn't necessarily think it makes sense but it does um and i just love that aspect of it but uh no this is one of my favorite movies i feel like i could talk on and on about it i'm really curious to rewatch it because of the stuff you just said but um i also think that certain movies are kind of a snapshot into the time when they were made and sometimes things don't age well but i think it's you got to appreciate things for what they are sometimes. And you need to, um, I don't know. I think sometimes you can't judge things based on like certain things changing. If I'm saying this in a really weird way, but I guess I'm just mostly curious how it doesn't age, age well, but I still think I'm going to like the movie even after watching it through that. Oh yeah. (laughs) If that makes sense. I don't dislike the movie. Yeah. There's certain things that don't work right now. So Okay, I um, hear you. What's your next honorable mention? Right. Um, so the next one, uh, I feel like this is a pretty goofy pick, but I went with Teen Wolf. Um, <laughs> uh, this movie, I think, is really, really funny. Um, I think it's one of those movies that it both doesn't hold up, but it also does, because um, it's one of those things where you watch it and it feels really goofy and dated. But at the same time, I feel like it does feel relatable in a lot of ways and like it's one of those things where if you were in um uh, what? <laughs> uh man why am i forgetting forgetting the actor's name I was, uh, michael <laughs> j fox yeah michael j fox the only thing in my head was marty mcfly and i was like yeah. no that's not right <laughs> i was like if you were in marty mcfly's situation and uh teen wolf yeah no if you were in Mar- michael j fox's character's situation in this movie Every high school boy would do the exact same stuff Mm -hmm. that he did, you know, and like you, of course, you would expose that you're a werewolf because that what that's what made him popular. And that's what made him the star of the basketball team. And I like I like that it is a goofy 80s movie, but it also holds up because of the relatability of it, I think. And uh, in a weird way, this is going to sound really dumb and I've never made this connection until now, but in a weird way, I almost feel like Teen Wolf might have influenced the movie Chronicle. <laughs> Maybe oh. in some weird subconscious way. I'm not That's really sure. But uh, <laughs> the last thing I will say, um, I think a lot of people probably avoided this because it might have seemed pretty goofy. But I've actually watched quite a bit of the uh, MTV Teen Wolf series that they did. Okay. And uh, that series is actually really fun. Um, and it's, it, I think it's really good in that sort of like cw level like almost superhero-esque sort of way um which probably sounds really weird but i like that show a ton and i like that uh this this movie spawned that show as well so uh yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts on teen wolf drew not really i haven't seen the movie in a really long time i mean i remember enjoying it i just haven't seen it in such a really long time right (laughs) um i actually watched it like a year ago or something and that's why i was like this is kind of dumb, but it kind of holds up in a weird way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So first actual pick of the night. Um, mine is the movie Clue. Um, oh, by the way, I have to pick match a little bit. Um, but the movie Clue, um, based on the board game Clue, um, this was incredibly well casted. This was incredibly well executed. This is understanding the assignment that you have going in. Um, I know there's a new reboot version coming out, which as long as they adhere to the fact that they know what they're doing, they could be it could be really, really good with the updated humor and stuff. But this movie, in my opinion, as old as it is, it holds up. 
Um, and video game companies need to kind of take a look at that and go, oh, that's how you adapt that kind of stuff to screen. Yeah. Um, just saying. Um, interestingly enough, the movie had three separate endings. Yeah. Uh, if you went to the theater to see this movie, it was like a Rolodex in terms of like you didn't know what ending you were going to get. So you could get one of the three endings. Um, and that's what you got. If you buy it on DVD, Blu-ray, however you watch the movie now, you get all three endings right in a row. Um, and it's designed to give you all three endings in a row, which I just think is cool. Um, I didn't see the movie in theaters. I obviously I saw it later in life, but <laughs> I think it would have been cool to know that there were three different endings and go to the theater a couple extra times. Um, yeah. Well, I think I actually didn't know this until pretty recently. Um, I was watching a YouTube video about Clue randomly, and uh, they talked about how um, there's the multiple endings. And it was actually just as a spoiler proof thing, because this is a mystery story and you didn't want people going to the theater and then telling their friends how it ends. And it's kind of a genius thing. Like you could say it's a gimmick, but it's also just really cool it's like a cool experiment they did with that movie. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what's your next one, man? Oh, yeah. So um, my first. Sorry, some of these uh, reviews can be short. That's why I was like, you know, I'm like, I mean, uh, go watch Clue. It's about the it's about the board game. It's just it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've been going on and on just for honorable mentions, too. But yeah, uh, yeah my number five pick from the night. Oh, this is a year. So it's ranked. Um but uh, yeah, my number five pick, I actually went with uh, The Black Cauldron, um, wow. the uh, Disney animated movie. And uh, this is just cool. I feel like growing up, um, Disney films, I feel I felt like so many of them were princess focused. And I kind of like there was a lot of them that I felt like I couldn't glom onto, like as a young boy, like there was Aladdin, you know, but a lot of the other ones were really princess focused. And I wanted more of the sort of masculine fairy tales, I guess. And uh, I think the black cauldron, I didn't see this movie till I was much older, but I think it fits that vibe like really well. And it's kind of a pretty, I feel like the storyline in this movie is a pretty stereotypical sort of medieval fantasy where you have the, you know, the young unsuspecting farm boy who ends up forming like a ragtag group of adventurers and they go off to defeat the evil tyrant you know, or whatever. So it's not necessarily the most original story, I don't think, but it's just a really cool animated movie. And uh, this is one that I just mostly love the visuals so much. Like Disney does have the tendency to really present everything in this really saccharine sweet sort of way. And I love that the black cauldron, when you start looking at the background art and some of the character designs and stuff they weren't really afraid to get spooky and you would have backgrounds that would have like skulls in them and more like I guess scary elements in the film and I think the film is like Disney as a company I feel like doesn't like to focus on this movie very much and I think it's because of some of that dark imagery but I feel like it has a bit of a cult following as kind of this sort of unappreciated classic because of that um one last thing i'll say kind of a fun fact about this movie is uh 
before Tim Burton was a uh, went on to like direct his own films and stuff, he was actually an animator on this film. I guess this was the only uh, feature length Disney film that he worked on. But that's pretty interesting to think about, especially with what I was saying with some of the uh, darker imagery that uh, yeah, is in this movie. Why, you know, that's why the villain looks like Skeletor's brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, this is I mean, good call. Uh, I haven't seen The Black Cauldron in a long time. Um, I really don't remember much of it other than what the villain looks like, obviously. Yeah. Um, it is on Disney Plus if you want to go check it out. So, yeah, this this was one of the ones that I had to check out when uh, Disney Plus first came out. So, yeah. Um, OK, so my next pick is Rocky Four. Um, nice. Look, it's Rocky. It's, it's it's, I think this is the shortest of the Rockies. Um, it's essentially a boxing movie. We know that. But this is the one where he goes to Russia during the Cold War mm. and fight uh, Dolph Lundgren. Um, I love my – look, so much of the movie is normal Rocky stuff. But when you get to the fight at the end, what I love about the fight at the end is the way he walks into that ring – the the like the stranger and the crowd turns and starts cheering him on um <laughs> that's the coolest part that's almost the bigger victory than just winning the fight um and there's there's that emotional turn which is just really really cool and i love it um but yeah that's yeah so rocky four it's i mean it's a really great movie it's probably one of my favorites just because of that end fight um and the stakes leading up to it and all that stuff so um, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I don't yeah. have anything to add to Rocky Four. But the Rocky movies for me are a bit spotty. Like I don't think I've seen them all, so it's like I wasn't sure if I saw this one when you started talking about it. But once you mentioned the Russia stuff, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this one. Um, the one thing that you could, probably could mention because I don't really know what to add to it besides what you've said, but uh, the one thing you could mention is just like I feel like this is a film with. Uh, some historical significance I'm kind of assuming here, but I feel like it probably tied into the uh, cold war and sort of like yeah. political tensions with Russia at the time and stuff. And so that's kind of a cool yeah, angle to think about with this movie. You ultimately know? he had to go over there to fight because of the cold war and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I mean, there was a lot of that in the eighties for sure, but <laughs> you know, um, all right. What's your next one, man? So my next one, I feel like this is a super goofy pick, but I went with uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation. And uh, this one I picked just for rewatchability. Like, I feel like I've watched this movie so many times. And it's one of those things that I'll see on Hulu or Netflix or one of the streaming service services. And it's it's such a good go to to just put on for background noise. And I feel like. This is another one of those movies where some jokes are still hilarious. Some jokes don't hold up. A lot of it has to do with like certain things not being politically correct at the moment and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's the Griswolds going on an adventure saying, no, you're going to have a good time. Um, and I feel like in a weird way, I don't know. I'm drawing so many parallels to current movies with my reviews this week, but this movie almost paved the way for the movie Euro Trip when it comes to <laughs> a group of Americans going over to Europe and kind of like wreaking havoc on like every stereotype they could while they were <laughs> over there. That being <laughs> if that said, makes sense. <laughs> it does, but that being said, Euro Trip is a much better movie. Um in you my think opinion. So? 
yeah, in my opinion, I think it's a much better movie. Um, this is actually my least favorite of the vacation films. I, I think I think I would agree with that. Um, but it's also just like I love the vacation films enough that I picked it. But I do understand that this is most people's least favorite and a lot of people don't like this one. So but I love the roundabout sequence. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it gets stuck in the roundabout, literally probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. See, that's the thing is there's so many there are like a lot of jokes that fall flat, but there's so many moments that hold up to like the. Uh, when uh, they first start driving around in London, I remember like they hit like this uh, guy on a bicycle or something. And like, even though they were totally at fault, the bicycle guys like just way overly polite. To them. And then they do some other like slight against like somebody else at the same time. And like everybody's just over overly polite to them, which is pretty hilarious. And uh, the other part that I think is really funny is uh when they go to Germany and uh, Clark thinks he's taking his family to visit like his long lost uncle in Germany or whatever, but they end up staying overnight with this old couple that have no idea who they are. <laughs> like they didn't actually stay with family. And it's one of those things where they leave in the morning and the wife looks at the husband and is just like, so do you know them? <laughs> the husband's just like, I have no idea who these people were. <laughs> and I always love right. that joke too. So yeah, like ultimately it's good. It's just my least favorite of that series. Yeah. Um. All right. So my next movie is a movie called The Bride. Have you ever seen this? No. I like this I, is totally up your so. alley. If you've never seen this movie, I oh, highly okay. recommend it. Find a way to do it. Um. The Bride is actually referring to um. The Bride of Frankenstein. Oh. Sweet. Um. And it's the idea of. Frankenstein, he built the monster and it wasn't perfect. So he wants to make the perfect person. He wants to make the perfect being and bring them back to life. And he builds the bride of Frankenstein played by Jennifer Beals. And she's gorgeous and just what he was looking for and everything. It, it is a very gripping, serious drama take on this subject. It's not goofy the way the bride of Frankenstein is universal monsters. This is very serious. If you were to bring a, girl back to life kind of thing. Um, really, really cool movie, really dark, gritty, um, the way you'd want like a horror movie like this to be told and a serious story in that as well. Um, I remember really, really liking this the first few times I watched it. I haven't seen this movie in years, but it's awesome. So definitely check this out. So Yeah, this sounds cool. I really wasn't familiar with this at all, but this sounds really cool. I just Googled it and apparently it stars uh, Sting as well. And uh, looking at some other pictures, uh, I guess Carrie L is is in this movie as well. Yeah. So I'm definitely down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, check this out if you can. So. Um, all right, man, what do you got? Yeah, so my next pick, um, which Drew, I might be wrong, but for some reason, I feel like you don't like this movie. Um, I actually went with The Breakfast Club. Um, OK, give me a review and then we'll go. <laughs> I feel I feel like I I've heard you say that before. So that's like I don't know your reasonings why, but uh The Breakfast Club this is an, another one for me that rewatchability-wise, I've watched this movie countless times. Um it's one of those things that at least when I was in high school, it felt like such a coming of age thing and it felt like there were so many high school parties where I would just be with a group of friends and we'd watch The Breakfast Club just cuz everybody liked it but the thing that i like about this movie is i like 
I really do like that sort of camaraderie they have. Um, there's kind of like a really sort of cool thing that I think is in this movie where you have, you know, you have your ragtag group of uh, Saturday de- detention um, students and how they're they all come from different backgrounds and different cliques. But that that sort of bond that they have, like everybody said this a million times, but I do like that sort of underlying theme of like no matter how different we look, we still have much more in common than it seems. And I kind of like seeing that sort of uh, people coming together, you know, to um, commiserate and like, you know, sometimes even accomplish goals together and stuff like that, I think is kind of a cool underlying theme. But this movie, I just think is classic 80s. I feel like it feels more realistic than a lot of the maybe other 80s teen comedies and uh i don't know it's a john hughes film i feel like john hughes did so much like so many of his movies i love because i think he has a lot of just really endearing uh character moments and stuff that he weaves into his movies and uh, i think this one holds up a lot better than maybe some of his other ones but uh yeah drew uh what what are your thoughts on the, the breakfast club so i don't dislike the breakfast club okay I think The Breakfast Club is over-referenced and held on a pedestal that I don't fully get. <laughs> like I gotcha, I gotcha. Like, and that's I think my beef with the like The Breakfast Club. Like it's not a bad movie. And there's so many things they get right, and there's so many great moments, and there's some funny moments in there and all that stuff. And overall the movie's fun. I think the movie gets incredibly overplayed. It gets over-referenced. I think I feel like The Breakfast Club is slowly becoming the way Scarface is, where, like, Scarface, for some reason, anytime you watch, like, an episode of MTV Cribs, there's a Scarface poster hanging somewhere in that person's house. Mm -hmm. Because I think they think it's cool, but they've never actually seen the movie, so the movie's being (laughs) hoisted up on this pedestal. But you know what I mean? Like... Because Scarface himself is, I'm sorry, I know I'm, I feel like I'm going to alienate someone here. Scarface, in my opinion, is not a good movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think when the people who say that it's like the greatest movie ever, I don't know if they've actually watched it um, or have gone back and watched it. I think it, it might depend on like how much you want to vicariously live through Tony Montana and like. Or, or The Breakfast Club. Um, the <laughs> oh, so it's like like how much you identify with one of the characters affects your liking so. of it. I guess so. I don't. Okay, know. that's an interesting I take feel, on it. I just feel like it's like held on this like pedestal as like one of the greatest films of all time, and I just don't see it that way. So I kind of just don't agree with the general public on this movie at all, and I think that kind of makes my opinion of the movie kind of wane a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> Like that's, I said, that's it's, fair. It's not a bad movie, and overall, I like it. I just don't, I guess, understand the fandom. It's like it's like overhyped, and I, I can, I, I can I, very much so in my opinion. Yeah, I can get it too if you like. You watched it, and it's like it was good, but I didn't necessarily have like a super strong connection to it in the way that other people did. I can definitely see that takeaway from it. No. Um, Go ahead. Oh, keep going. Well, I was going to go on a tangent, so I'm kind of curious what you're going to say. Well, I was going to go to my next pick because this was a oh. great segue, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so since you're, like, lukewarm on uh, The Breakfast Club, which I don't know if that's the best adjective to use, but anyways, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, there is a movie I do want to loan to you. Have you ever heard of the movie Bad Kids Go to Hell? Uh, no, but that's okay. awesome. <laughs> so I was at uh, Chicago Comic Con, I want to say... 
have a copy of Master 2. So So I think it was 2009. I was at Chicago Comic Con and there was one booth that was uh, this artist and writer selling their book that was called Bad Kids Go to Hell. And I was like, hey, this looks cool. What is it? And they described it to me. Oh, this is like Breakfast Club meets Poltergeist. (laughs) And essentially what it is, is the comic is basically it's a Breakfast Club situation, but it's like this Saturday detention at this like really ritzy sort of prep uh prep school sort of high school and uh you're introduced to all these characters who are these spoiled whiny annoying teacher or teenagers but the thing is there's a super supernatural element that comes into it and it ends up being all these um all these spoiled whiny uh prep kids are being terrorized by these supernatural elements. And it's pretty soon that you start to see characters getting killed off. And it's like, it's this really funny, like sarcastic, like B horror movie version of the breakfast club. Like I thought it was really genius when I read it. And uh, it was one of those comic cons where I was there all weekend and I bought that book day one, read it back in my hotel room and then went back and like talked to the creators about it. (laughs) It was one of those cool things where like, it almost felt like me and my friend group became like friends with these guys. Cause we saw them at like the bar after the convention and we're hobnobbing and it was, it was a pretty cool vibe, but this comic actually eventually became an independent movie. Like the writer of that comic actually made an indie horror film of it, which I own. And I don't know how I found it randomly one day, but when I saw it at the store, I just had to buy it. And um, yeah, it's just one of those things I have on my shelf and the movie is awesome. So I definitely want to loan this to you, Drew. So <laughs> that's my tangent for the night, I guess. Well, in the realm of Better Off Dead and 80s comedies, uh, my next pick of the <laughs> night. <laughs> um, my next pick of the night is Better Off Dead. Nice. Which I think might actually be, in my opinion, the better of the two movies. Um, look, this is about a guy who just wants to find the right girl. And it's really cool how the story's told just through the high school nonsense. But then it's also told through the cartoons and doodles that he draws along the way. Um, and I think it's hilarious. Um, and then they have that great, you have the great bit with the kid, the paperboy kid. He's trying to get his money that I want my two dollars. Um, yeah, <laughs> repeated several times throughout, and you got the Chinese guys who are try- who learned English from watching sports. So like, <laughs> but they're like always doing impre- like bad impressions of American accents because that's how they <laughs> learn how to speak English. Um, which that would never fly today, but it's still a funny sequence of the movie. Just, I, just in context of how and why it's funny. Yeah. Um, the skiing sequence at the end, like, you know what I mean? Like Better Off Dead. There's so much to it that I think. Um, I kind of want to go watch Better Off Dead now. And then, by all means, I'd want to watch One Crazy Summer, which is essentially the unofficial sequel to it. But, hey. Um, But, yeah, everyone should check out Better Off Dead. It's great. Um, I don't have much more to say about that. John Cusack's fantastic. And that's actually, I think, I think it's the first movie I saw John Cusack in um, before I saw other stuff like Say Anything and whatnot. But that might be my first uh, with John Cusack. So Nice. Better off that opinions or no? No, it's a good movie. I don't know what to say okay. about it that you haven't. I also haven't seen it in a while, but I think it's really good and really hilarious. And um, I can't remember if in Better Off Dead they did this a lot, but I do like in uh, One Crazy Crazy Summer how you have 
John Cusack, who's like the main character, but he also has like that really his group of friends that there's so many like just great characters in his group of friends that are really like hilarious and like endearing at the same time. So I always liked that uh, dynamic they had. So, yeah. Um, Okay, what's your next pick of the night? I have been talking on and on like I've said a lot more during this list than I expected. So I apologize for that, but I can keep my next pick short. I'm not trying to make my list short. I just, I was like, wow, we're going way longer than I expected. Um, (laughs) Well, I was going to say my next pick. I don't have a lot to say on. That's also. Yeah. My next pick, I can keep super short um, because I went with the Goonies and we already talked about it. But this is one of my favorite movies. I I do think it's, um, I, I appreciate how, nostalgic this is this movie is for so many people and how it's it's just one of those movies that there's so many like I feel like you could meet a group of people and have nothing in common with them but when it comes to like what movie are we going to put on you can be like well let's watch the Goonies and then it's like everybody's all your best friend because everybody loves it you know sort of thing so that's always awesome so I don't have to say too much more but the Goonies is a great movie so (laughs) Goonies is great everyone should watch it by the way it's funny that you wanted to do 1985 movies because um I have have you ever watched the Goldbergs uh, I've seen a couple episodes, but right. not. I haven't. And you know, the whole show really. takes place during the eighties. Yeah. They, they started with the. It was nineteen eighty something. Blah 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 blah. And something really cool. And but the one kid's really into movies. I've never. I like you. I've seen a handful of episodes randomly without a without context. Okay. They have. I think they're. I think they're about to like drop the tenth season of that show. I didn't realize how long it was, but. <laughs> I decided to give it a go, like in terms of start from the very beginning and watch. So I'm like having a blast watching through um, these episodes with all this 80s stuff. And then you're like, and we're going to do 1985. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, no, that's just awesome. And uh, they do have a Goonies, a Goonies specific episode, which was just a lot of fun, too. So um, nice. lots of references and whatnot. But um, all right. So final pick of the night. I said earlier in the show that I wonder if the Academy ever wonders if they make a mistake. If they were to look back today at the year 1985, picking Out of Africa as the best picture. Let's be honest. Out of Africa, there's nothing wrong with the movie. It's a good movie. Um, If you've seen it, it's a good movie. If you hadn't seen it, you didn't like it, that's fine. But there's one movie that came out in 1985. When you look at rewatchability... When you look at replayability, when you look at the fact that I don't know anyone who's ever gotten bored watching this movie. This movie has something for everyone in it. And in all seriousness, this was the best movie of the year. And that's Back to the Future. Um, I assume we match on this because you haven't brought it up yet. Um, Um, I went with A a Nightmare on Elm Street, too. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I went went with Back to the Future. I figured (laughs) But, also, but I mean, seriously, dude, there is no better movie that came out in 1985 than Back to the Future. And no, like, absolutely. And this is that thing where, like, like in 1915, sorry, 1915, 2015, uh, whatever movie came out that year, and I, I'd have to look it up to find out what the best picture is, but they missed the boat. It should have been Ex Machina, and I think everybody knows that. This is one of those things where just looking back at the year, yeah. it's like, no, dude, the best movie of the year was Back to the Future, and you guys made a huge mistake because, every, like, Everyone loves this movie. And you and I have talked a nauseum about this, so I don't really need to give a review. Yeah. But seriously, Back to the Future is the best movie of the year, period. 
I don't think anyone can dispute that with me unless you're going to be one of those snobby film buffs. But Back <laughs> to the Future, man. Best movie of the year. Well, I think <laughs> so. it's uh, – we've talked a little bit about this before, and I, I don't want to go on a big tangent at all. But, uh, like, I think we talked about the year that um, – uh, Saving Private Ryan came out. Uh, the English Patient beat it for the Oscars. I might be yeah. wrong, but um, yeah, that I, I mean, I might have mixed some years like, there. But <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things that it's like Saving Private Ryan is, has obviously been remembered more and is much more celebrated um, nowadays than The English Patient, in my opinion. And I think this is a similar case where like Back to the Future is such a big part of like our cultural DNA, like it can't be forgotten. Everybody loves it. It's, it's a movie that's going to live on forever. It's not the first time travel movie by a long shot, but it is, it kind of is like the most well-remembered one. Like most people, when you say like, think of a time travel movie, your brain goes right to back to the future. It kind of owns that title. And Drew, I know you're really into time travel, so you might be able to dispute me on that a little bit. But I do think of this this movie is has reached a level of cultural DNA that's just super impressive. And it kind of goes to show like the movie that wins the best picture doesn't necessarily mean that it's the movie that's the most on the pulse and the the movie that people liked the most and people are going to remember the most. And I feel like there's a whole podcast we could do on just that subject. But uh, Back to the Future, it's an amazing film. Um, it's super creative. It's very tightly written. Like, I feel like this is a movie I watch and I wouldn't change anything. Like, when it comes to even specific lines and uh, the cinematography and how the story plays out. And uh, a lot of the special effects hold up. And it's one of those things where it just feels so perfect. Like you couldn't, I feel like you couldn't really tweak this movie that much. Like it's just, it holds up so well. And uh, you'd, like you've said, we've talked about this a lot, so I don't, I don't want to go too on and on, but it's just, uh, sure. it's just a great movie, you know? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And everyone should go watch it. And I want to go watch it right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um that kind of brings us to the end of 1985 back to the future was the best movie period even though it does <laughs> Africa. but hey that's fine um all right so here's what we're gonna do next week i have been catching up on my marvel comics and i just finished reading avx or avengers versus x-men um which i've never read before i had so much fun reading this um, and I realized we should do um, our favorite X-Men. Uh, oh, okay. And I specifically am referring now, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys in the X-Men comic books? Because that's a fine line when you talk about the social issues in this series. However, yeah. what we would believe to be the good guy characters, that's who I'm referring to. Okay. So, top five favorite X-Men. We're probably going to match a bunch, but I thought it'd be fun to have a comic book <laughs> conversation. Um, especially because the MCU, we already have our first mutant, and I think we're going to be leaning a little bit closer to what's going on in the X-Men universe. So, uh, hopefully. hopefully, and after reading Avengers vs. X-Men, knowing we have more Avengers movies coming, knowing that they have to eventually build to the X-Men, I think... Uh, I think I honestly think that could be a way they're going to go the way that book plays out. I'm like, this is a Marvel movie. Kevin Feige's already got this flagged and ready to go. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, we'll see. But that was that's what I was thinking for next week. Um, 
So, yeah, and actually, I've been holding this in my back pocket since we started this show. This is a list I was planning oh, doing back when we originally decided <laughs> to do this show four years ago. So, um, I think I think this is a fun list. There's some tentpole characters that it's like you can't avoid putting on your list, but I know I think I know. that's why forget. we're gonna. That's why we're going to match a bunch. I just let's talk some comics. Next. Well, I think when it comes to <laughs> obscure comic book characters, though, I think people forget how weird some of the X-Men characters are. And we yeah. can pick some very weird mutants to talk about as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we'll have to see how this goes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, everybody. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along to a link to our email. Uh, top5report at gmail.com. Hit us up, social media, email, either way works. Um, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also uh, leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, um, so in the song 1985 by Bowling for Soup, it is said that Debbie's yellow SUV is now the enemy. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be trying to recruit some Autobots to take this SUV down. <laughs> not, the, not the GoBots? Um, Maybe some of them, too. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to need all the all the manpower we can get. So Sure. All right. Well, <laughs> for the top five report, I'm through. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.